Welcome back to the Forster's Law the Law podcast, where we seek to go beyond the practice of law and talk to interesting people about interesting things. I'm Miri Stickland, Head of Knowledge at Forster's, and in today's episode, I'm joined by Andrew Wiseman, General Counsel at Historic England. Alongside Andrew is his longtime friend and erstwhile colleague, commercial real estate partner, Vicky Towers. So for the uninitiated, Historic England is a public body with a mission of championing and protecting the historic environment, with a vision of a heritage that's valued, celebrated and shared by everyone, a historic environment people can connect with and learn from, and that we're proud to pass on to future generations. Today, Vicky, Andrew and I are going to unpick what a historic building is, how they can be developed and adapted for future generations, with a particular eye on the challenges around introducing energy efficiency measures into historic buildings. To start us off, Andrew, I was hoping that you might tell us a bit about Historic England, or the artist formerly known as English Heritage, as you might know it. Um, <laughs> and to kick us off, I wonder if you can tell us a bit about the role Historic England plays in heritage protection. Yeah, sure. So Historic England is we're a government body. We're the government's uh, advisor on the historic environment. We're a statutory consultee on planning applications uh, that impact on listed buildings. But we also uh, provide advice to the government on which buildings should be listed. And we have a wider remit for generally promoting, protecting and championing the historic environment throughout the whole of England. And so when we're talking about what is an historic building, what would be your sort of starting point? So the starting point is there is a list uh, on our website and they're, they're the buildings that are listed at different grades, grade one, grade two star, grade two buildings. And they're the buildings that the government feels are worthy of extra protection, but also because they have some either architectural or historic merit to them. Uh, but the historic environment's wider than that, uh, includes conservation areas, but it also includes lots of things that aren't necessarily listed, but for local communities are a really important asset and local people can relate to their history and what's going on around them. Sorry, I was, could you um, can you propose or recommend a building for listing? Yes, and so that's what people can come to you to do. Anyone can come to us and su suggest a building. There's a very rigorous process to actually get a building listed, and it, ha it has to go through us, and we will recommend to the Secretary of State at DCMS whether a building should be listed. Uh, most most buildings are are listed after we've we've chosen and we've assessed them. But quite a few come through, whether it's uh, local amenity societies, some of the national amenity societies like the Victorian group or the 20, 20th century society. But also local groups can recommend, re recommend something. Sometimes it's because they want to protect a building or provide extra protection for them. But more often than not, it's because they just love and cherish a local building and feel that it's worthy of listing. And actually a great, sorry, going slightly off piece, but a great example of that, and I think was the Victorian Society, was uh, St Pancras Station. Is that 
Is that right? Yes, that was way before I joined Historic England, but, uh, and as you say, as they used to be known as, so pre-2015, Historic England was known as English Heritage. Uh, but that was, a, that was a building. There are loads, loads of examples around the country where local people really feel that a building deserves extra protection and, and merits listing. And so some examples of the different grading. So, uh, for example, well, our offices. Yeah. Yep, so the offices we're sitting in today, uh, they're listed at grade two, uh, which and the vast majority of listed buildings are at grade two. I think it's around about 95% of listed buildings. So what would you have to do to get to grade two star? It just merits... Uh, greater protect, greater protection, but it, it's just of more architectural significance, more historic interest. So one one example is the Old Bailey, that's listed at Grade Two, two Star, uh, and about I think it's around about four percent of listed buildings are at Grade Two Star. So there's a there's a large gap between Grade Two and Grade Two Star. It's a big leap, and then the ones that merit are. Uh, the highest ranking of listing are grade one buildings and they're things like Houses of Parliament, for example, they're grade one. And what then is the impact of um, of the grading on how you can then develop those buildings? So firstly, the position, again, all listed buildings, they receive extra protection you often need listed building consent to carry out works to them. And the local authority, who is the final decision maker, uh, will assess what you want to carry out, what works you want to carry out versus uh, the historic architectural merit of the building and what impact that is happening, that's having on them. Uh, did you, sorry, did you say the local authority make that decision yes. through the planning? Through, through the planning process. So what? Uh, the, how does that balance with what you do uh, so between the two entities? We're, we're, we're a statutory consultee, so yeah. if someone puts in a planning application that impacts on a listed building, uh, we get consulted on by the local authority. And depending on the nature of the building, generally uh, grade one or grade two style buildings will get more involved in grade two buildings. We tend to leave it totally up to the local authority. And we provide advice to the local authority. We'll give them our views uh, on the impact and the, of the works, but also the significance of the building. Uh, sometimes with a recommendation, uh, often there's a balance between carrying out works to historic building and other benefits to those works. That will always be for the local authority to assess. And at the end of the day, the local authority is the decision maker. They've, they've got to take into account our advice. But after they take taking that advice into account, they'll then make their decision. So it's protective, but then there can be this perception that that can stop people from introducing necessary change. Can you talk a bit about that, perhaps in the context of things like equality of access. Sure. So I think that is a perception that once a building is listed, it has to be 
coated in aspic and it can't be changed. And that's not the case. Uh, change can often happen and often does. You have to be sympathetic to, to the building and you just need to look at the often the inside of many listed buildings, how they have changed and have adapted over the years. And so there's no, no problems with change. It just needs consent and someone needs to carry it out. The disability, the disability Discrimination Act is a good example of where some people might perceive there's a conflict between putting in lifts or putting in ramps and uh, impacting on historic buildings. But you just need to, to walk around many historic buildings or open to the public and you'll see those things have been carried out. They've just been carried out in a sympathetic manner. And presumably a similar approach in terms of materials that have been used, in, you know, things that are now no longer permitted or may not be as... I'm, I'm sure we'll come on to it, but may not be as environmentally friendly and how, that, how that's being approached. Yes, yeah, so all of those things need, need to be looked at. Uh, sometimes it's impossible to obtain the same sort of material because it's no longer manufactured, no longer available. Uh, sometimes it can have other adverse impacts. So all of those things just need to be looked at, looked at and then the local authority as a decision maker will weigh those two, weigh everything up and, and take a decision. Different regime, obviously, but I've just got back from Athens and the Acropolis has a lift for disabled access. Fantastic. Yeah. That's <laughs> certainly new compared with the last time I went there, where you had, had to traipse up in the, in the height of the midday sun. And that was still very much what we had to do. <laughs> If we turn our minds to adaptations that are necessary from the point of view of um, the path to net zero and achieving energy efficiency in historic buildings, how does Historic England assist owners with the particular challenges involved there? So there's, there's lots of ways that we get involved. The first way is we provide lots of guidance to owners of historic properties, and that may be... Uh, owners of houses who uh, want to look at their windows and look at making uh, them more energy efficient in that way, through to some lar larger buildings and larger estates and what they might want to do. And there's a whole gamut of things that can be done. And what I would say is nothing is ruled out. It just needs to be assessed on a case-by-case -case basis. So whether it's solar panels on a roof uh, whether it's a wind turbine close to a historic building that may impact on its setting and how you appreciate that historic building, or whether it's uh, double glazed sash windows. For every, everything is possible. It's just a matter of look it, looking at it and then assessing it. It will mean that some things aren't appropriate for some buildings, but there needs to be that sort of conversation. Do you think sympathies will align or come to the fore more and more in terms of how requests around energy efficiency requirements as we move into the world of net carbon zero? I, cer I certainly think that there's so much more awareness now. Uh, I think in, in the past, people would maybe just 
put things on, rip things out without really thought on the impact. And then, and all of this has to be worried about, okay, it's not only protection of the historic buildings, but actually there's a whole issue about embodied carbon. Yeah. So actually how much carbon are you using up to manufacture UVPC windows and then everything that goes into ripping out the existing windows to put in those which may be viewed to be more energy efficient as against maybe secondary glazing and something like secondary glazing may very well provide the same benefits in terms of carbon emissions heat heating within the building uh, but come with less carbon impact so there's a whole range of things that can be done and can be looked at it's that balance between uh, achieving an operational carbon saving and not by doing that increasing your embodied carbon isn't it and we've talked about that on previous podcasts yeah. haven't we Vicky um, it's interesting you mentioned um, solar panels because uh, I saw in the press recently that at King's College Cambridge, my hometown, um, as part of their roof replacement works to King's College Chapel, it's been reported they were considering fitting the roof with solar panels if approvals could be obtained. And I'm wondering, sort of, I mean, that is alongside the fact they've already transformed one of their famous lawns into a wide wildflower meadow to create a biodiversity rich ecosystem so it, it seems like the aim there is leadership rather than tokenism and I'm sort of interested in your views around that. So I always think that there's a real balance between the leadership what it actually achieves versus to and, and the other end of the scale tokenism uh, where if you put a whole array of solar panels that makes no great difference because it's on the on a roof that faces in the wrong direction. Yeah. What what are you trying to achieve? Well you're showing people that you've done it, but you may be causing greater harm uh, to the historic environment with no real benefit in terms of climate change. Uh, and that's why the cathedrals are Cathedrals around the UK are a really good example, and they're, they're looking at uh, solar panels, and one of the things they're particularly looking at is uh, where, where they're sited and where you position them. So they need to face in a certain direction, but a lot of roof spaces have that sort of M-shaped roof, mm. and putting them on the inside of the, the M, so the V part of the M-shape, that can still give you the environmental benefits you want, but without actually impacting on the the look or the vista of the building. Right. So the, the, it's it's complex. It's one of the things that I think lots of people find quite difficult is it does need to be looked at on a case by case basis. Uh, but there is there's a lot that can be done. It's really a matter of why are you put in from my my perspective. Why is that solar panel going up there? Is it to generate electricity to reduce your carbon impact, or is it to make a make a statement to the world at large that we know it's important? And then I suppose my next sort of question would be around how historic buildings can adapt to cope with different climate conditions. I mean, this summer, for example, I'm sure we found a lot of people seeking out the 
nice cool spaces of the more drafty buildings but 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 how how can historic um assets change for those hotter drier summers so i think the first thing i would say is quite often historic buildings are really the, the ideal environment for those hotter hotter drier summers not nice and cool exactly yep. they're they're often very cool they've uh that they're often the per- the perfect the perfect environment in 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 that res- in that respect but as you say the, the buildings do need to adapt and they people do need to look at what's what's applicable what's what's best and sometimes it can be really simple adaptations so blinds something of something of that nature sometimes particularly uh to keep the temperature in there, there does need to be secondary glazing or those sort of things. Once again, and I, I'm sounding a little bit like a broken record, it really is one of those case-by-case bases. What, what works on some buildings won't work on others and isn't applicable for others. Uh, but having said that, there's huge amounts of guidance out there. Guidance on our website. Lots of organisations produce guidance, and I think that's really the first port of call. What would be your advice for anybody contemplating undertaking works to a listed building who doesn't really know where to start? First, first thing I would say is talk to the talk to the experts who are there to help you. There's lots of information on our website. Uh, talk to your local authority conservation officer. They will be able to provide some advice and guidance to you. They'll be there to uh, explain the process to you. And at the end of the day, they're going to be key in the, as a decision maker. If you're, that, particularly for householder development, that sort of thing. If you're a property developer and it's a large, larger scale project, talk to us. We're, we're, we're there to provide help and assistance. Uh, we're there to try and provide you with the information you need so you can make an informed decision. And that will give your application the greatest chance of success or understanding if changes are needed. I'm going to go totally off piece now and ask you, what is your favourite historic building? And you didn't give me any warning of that one either. <laughs> I know, sorry, uh, it sprang yeah. into my mind because I know what mine is. <laughs> uh, what, what is my... my fa- the trouble is I'm now going to brown off huge numbers of stakeholders oh, no. by, by saying by, by by saying one or the other i'll keep your and counsel no, 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 so I, I i will i will say say one or if i could maybe expand it as a bit of a group you can, you yeah a bit of a group and it's slightly cheating because you've already mentioned it but if i link the st pancras uh redevelopment the the hotel and the uh train station with the king's cross development sort of behind it mm. around granary square and around there and i think the reason i love that that's a really good example of uh, a historic environment historic buildings that were in really poor condition and have now been adapted and reused in most perfect perfect way and done by com- commercial development and what is quite an exciting commercial development so i think i'll i'll choose that one 
but I will immediately apologise and I will draft an email to the <laughs> thousands of people I have just browned off by not by not giving one of their buildings as an example. They're all very important and we love them too. Exactly. That's Thank it. you. <laughs> Got me out of that one. <laughs> Thanks so much to Andrew and Vicky for joining me today. It's been such a fascinating chat. If you'd like further information on Historic England, you can visit their website, historicengland.org.uk, where you'll find the guidance which Andrew's been talking about. And if you'd like to know more about Forsters, our website is at forsters.co.uk. You can also link to all our other podcast episodes there. And of course, you can find them loitering on all good podcast platforms. Of course, if you want to give us a nice five-star review, please feel free. It would be most gratefully received. For other news and views from the firm, you can also find us on all the usual social media channels, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And until next time, goodbye. The Forster's More Than Law podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Forster's LLP accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct or consequential loss arising from the use of, reliance on, or reference to this podcast. Forster's LLP makes no warranty or representation as to the accuracy of the information contained in this podcast. The More Than Law podcast and any copyright in it is the property of Forster's LLP and it shall not be used, reproduced, or quoted in whole or part without Forster's LLP's prior written consent. Thank you.